The healthcare industry has undergone transformational change in the past 10 years, especially as it relates to the implementation of technology. Even so, there's much more to do and many companies are out there doing it, but you don't know about them. At Intrepid Healthcare, our podcast will bring you the crazy ones, the rebels, the troublemakers, the ones who see things differently. The people that are crazy enough to think they can change the world in healthcare. So sit tight and enjoy as we tell the story of another thought leading trailblazer. Welcome back to Intrepid Healthcare. I'm your host, Joe Lavelle, and I'm really looking forward to our conversation today with another trailblazing innovator. We're going to get right to it. Today, we're joined by Dave Chase, executive producer of The Big Heist. Dave, welcome to the show. Thanks. Looking forward to our chat. Well, thanks so much for making time to be with us today. Before we start our discussion, could you take a few seconds and tell the audience about you and your background? You bet. My background was started in career-wise in consulting, implementing health IT systems in a couple dozen different hospitals in the West, and then went over to Microsoft as they were getting the enterprise, started their health platform business. So that was basically getting the industry to build around Microsoft's building blocks. Then I left healthcare for over 10 years, first within Microsoft, and then after I left Microsoft 13 years ago. And by the way, there were a few things that happened after I left healthcare specific that sometimes people confuse my healthcare role. They did some healthcare specific software that that some folks know about that was different. The piece that I started is still a raging business. A lot of people contributed a lot to that, and it's about a $2 billion a year business for Microsoft today. But then I left Microsoft, basically was you know either founding or executive role in various startups, and then came back to healthcare in about 2010 and had a startup called Avado that ultimately got acquired by WebMD. And during that time, I also did a fair bit of writing for TechCrunch and Forbes and Reuters and Washington Post and and co-authored a book that was a seminal book on patient engagement. And then after completing the acquisition and the integration to WebMD, I left there about a year and a half ago and now very focused in on really this movement, this health 3.0 movement and this health Rosetta initiative that the film is one of the key pillars of, but it's kind of a part of a broader push basically. So that's kind of the, the flyover. Outstanding. You mentioned the film. Could you take the next couple of minutes and provide our audience with a 10,000 foot overview of the big heist? Sure. The big heist is about telling the story of was a reality show would be extreme makeover healthcare edition. Kind of the before is the collateral damage from an underperforming healthcare system. And it's very significant both at a macro level and at a family and individual level. And then it's about the story of redemption, how not in some sort of Star Trek futuristic vision, but there's actually functioning fixes to really all of healthcare's problems in terms of the structural fixes. And just the problem is most people don't know about it. So our goal is really like a big, short, supersize me, inconvenient truth, really awaken people to the scale of the problem and that it's the good news, it's entirely fixable. 
So our intent is to have a film that's geared towards the everyday American. And to do that, it's got to be raucously funny. And so we're going to use satire. And that will be sort of a Trojan horse to then say, look, now that you know about the scale of the problem, here's what you can do. And that's where you move outside of the film into kind of the movement and the education and certification and evangelization that can really mainstream this future that we all want to move towards. And Dave, you are creating quite a movement around the film. If you pay attention at all on social media, on Facebook, Twitter, even in the press, you can feel the movement coming around you if you're in healthcare. How can people participate in the movement? Well, they can do a few things. Certainly, they can go a good jump off point is bigheistmovie.com. And there's ways to certainly sort of support the film. We have a perk at a dollar, just a way for people to kind of raise their hand. There's a way to tell your story. And that's a kind of a good jump off point. They can also go to healthrosetta.org, where there's essentially it's an open source blueprint for how to do healthcare right from the starting point of how to purchase healthcare, right? And then kind of how the industry should respond, you know, via a set of guiding principles. I love the tell you story part, Dave. Whoever thought of that was genius. I just announced this week we did our hundredth interview of this year and we're here to tell people stories, but in the after show and in the before show, I'm often getting into guests and we're talking about our own personal stories of healthcare and none of them are great and all of them need to be shared so that we can improve healthcare and we can, I don't know, shine the right light on it so that, I guess, so that we don't accept some of the stories that we're hearing. So I would encourage people to go out there, www.bigheistmovie.com. If you don't do anything else, go share your story and get it out there and allow Dave and the rest of the movement to benefit from hearing your story. Yeah, I appreciate that. Sure thing. Dave, what are some of the market opportunities in health tech that you're talking about to do some of this improvement? That's really my day job is the investment opportunity. It only stands to reason that if you're going to do the equivalent of cities when they switched from steam power and oil to electricity, it wasn't like one turned off one day and the other turned on the other day. But we're really about seeing all the opportunities. When you look at the perverse incentives today in the current system, people very rationally responded to those. But Given that the future is often a 180 from that, it only stands to reason there's a whole set of investment opportunities. So we're we're investing in kind of the picks and shovels for these next generation healthcare delivery organizations and doing better communication. And then there's even opportunities beyond. And I can give you a couple examples of the companies we invested in there. But the other piece of it is we know that. Only about 20% of health outcomes are driven by clinical care, even though that, that gets the vast majority of the dollars. Wow. And we expect that there will be a somewhat of a reallocation and realizing if we just wait for everything to become a five-alarm fire, we do some amazing things in our healthcare system for the medical equivalent of five-alarm fires. But there are things you can do upstream that make a big difference. And we know a lot of the social determinants of health are massive in terms of the really driving outcomes. And there's opportunities to invest around companies that 
you may not have thought of traditionally as health tech, but I think if you're really truly looking at what we call population health, you have to look at the everyday life and dynamics and obstacles to achieving full health. So there's some neat opportunities in companies, some that we've sort of missed the opportunity to invest given when we started, but like a company like Healthify is a good example where they help accountable organizations really direct their members, their patients to the appropriate programs in their community that might help with some social transportation barrier, social program, whatever. It's making sense out of all that because there's a lot of things actually already in communities that people can take advantage of, but they just have no idea. And if they don't course know about them it's hard to get the benefit from them dave there was an article on alabama.com for the fine people of my state to read this week actually last week blue cross blue shield is planning to increase the rate for obamacare plans by 36 percent the fine print is that's for the gold coverage the bronze plans are 23 percent and oh by the way humana and United Healthcare are pulling out, so Blue Cross Blue Shield is the only option for the people of Alabama. What are some of the other collateral damage that society is seeing by hyperinflated healthcare costs? Well, coincidentally, I just posted a piece today that was part of the Health Rosette is a set of guiding principles, and we had people expand on these guiding principles. And the one that was published today, coincidentally, was basically the transcript from a Bill Gates TED Talk that spoke very specifically about the collateral damage from healthcare devastating education. And, you know, we know education's the way people, you know, it's a foundation for people moving up the economic ladder. Right. So that's, you know, that's one example. The, the one that I probably talk about the most is, you know, when you look at what, at least in my lifetime, is the most unusual presidential election that I've experienced, it's actually not at all surprising that populist presidential candidates have gotten the traction they have. If you look at the fact that the middle class is in an economic depression that's lasted over 20 years, that's longer than the Great Depression, because we know that one of the definitions of the economic depression is two or more years of income decline. And the middle class is 20 years into that. You don't have to look any further than 1930s Germany. Crazy stuff can happen when people are under economic duress for a long period of time. And that is at least 95% healthcare generated. Most people get their benefits through work. And the fact is employers are spending a lot more on employees than they did 20 years ago. The problem is every dollar and then some has gone to pay for healthcare and it's had our lifespans doubled. We might have said that's a fair trade, but that's not the case. And so that's another example where we have healthcare to thank for the economic depression that a huge portion of our fellow citizens are experiencing. And that has all kinds of downstream impacts, of course. Absolutely. Dave, how is healthcare being fixed though? from the ground up? Great question. Really, it's a series of, more often than not, it's doctor entrepreneurs. They've seen how this system that we've been operating under has really stolen the souls of our most sacred professions, the caregivers that heal us in our vulnerable moments, the nurses, the doctors, and the rest of the clinicians. And so they've seen it. They're not willing to stand 
for it and they know how to build that. And so there's many examples, but one of the examples is primary care. So you see in a country where we've done everything imaginable to undermine primary care and turned into basically a milk in the back of the store model where it's there to refer you to high margin services instead of what it should be, which is a foundation of a properly functioning healthcare system. There's folks who've come up with primary care delivery models that sound like something that only billionaires or very rich people might get to benefit from, but literally they're putting these models in place where at the extreme, one of the groups that wasn't addressed by Obamacare was undocumented low-income workers. Well, there's clinics where these women are paying, largely it's women, Latinas, like in New York, that are paying 10 bucks per week out of their own pocket for primary care that's better than what 99% of Americans get. And as I say now, I put my family where my mouth is. My, in a sister clinic of theirs, I got my folks into one that's a Medicare Advantage program. Iora Health is the healthcare delivery organization. In that case, they actually partnered with Humana for the Medicare Advantage. And it wasn't easy to get my folks to switch their doctor and health plan at age 80, but uh, their maniacal son <laughs> convinced them. <laughs> and it's been amazing because they were, my mom's a retired teacher. They were on a so-called rich retirement plan, but rich doesn't mean good in healthcare. And even though they're in a well-respected Seattle multi-specialty clinic, it just was nowhere near what it could be. And now we're really thankful we've been going through some very challenging health issues with my dad, and it would be a 100 times more difficult. And the beauty of these is anybody can afford them. It's just a matter of whether they're available yet in their community. Yeah, and for folks like me who get to read these headlines and then you throw in a few personal circumstances that change that 23% since I turned 50 this year to double that amount, which we learned is what happened last year. We doubled the 26%. It went up last year when my wife turned 50. That's just not sustainable. So these alternative plans or alternative ways of going about healthcare are, I think, going to be accelerated. Where healthcare was generally slow moving before, just the economic situation is going to cause things like direct primary care to really take off, I think. Yeah, no, that's a great example. And Healthcare's redemption is really a classic example of solutions hidden in plain sight. And so that's part of what we're doing with the Health Rosetta and the film is to point these out there. And American ingenuity is alive and well. I mean, and you talked about direct primary care. One of the areas that it's getting some real traction now is with these health sharing ministries, which I hadn't even heard of until, I don't know, maybe 18 months ago or so. There's one that's called Liberty HealthShare, and they have a thing called Liberty Direct, where they're actually partnering with primary care. And what they are essentially is a co-op, not one of the co-ops that came out of the ACA, but it had been around 20 years. They're doing the same thing that some smart employers are doing, which is not buying into the lie that you can't control health care costs, and their economic interests aren't in having health care costs go up. And so guess what? Their rates haven't gone up in at least five years. If you compare the cost of it, if you go to libertydirect.org as an example, and I have no economic interest in that just for the record, a family of four spends less than 
I think it's right around 5,000. I think it's less than 5,000 per year. You compare that to the Kaiser Family Foundation, I think had a, something that the latest cost for a family of four in the workplace is 25,000. So literally saving about 20,000 per year for family. And it's been working for years and providers actually like it, just not that many people know about it yet. And so it's not the total solution, but you see these things popping up, they've shown they can make it work. And so direct primary care is one of the great examples of value-based primary care, that that's how you you start to solve the big problem. And without that foundation, it's very difficult to do. Dave, what would a lead-like certification mean for healthcare? Yeah, so I use the analogy of lead because lead really was pivotal in accelerating the growth of green building practices where 20 years ago that was a fringe concept, 10 years ago as a marketing advantage for developers, today it's table stakes. And so in healthcare, when you look at the root cause of just about any issue that I've done a root cause analysis of, it comes back to we just purchase healthcare really poorly. And so a lead-like certification in healthcare is just like LEED has got LEED-certified professionals, LEED-certified products, and LEED-certified buildings. It's a hospital or high-rise or hotel or whatever. The first part is LEED-certified benefits professionals. They have a very instrumental role to play. Most Americans get their healthcare through their work, and the great Health benefit consultants are worth their weight in gold and are showing how you can spend 20, 30, 55% less than the status quo with actually better benefits packages. So we need to shine a light on those people. They need to get rewarded. And just as stockbrokers kind of went the way the dodo bird and got replaced by financial and wealth advisors, the next generation of benefits consultants will wash away opportunistic folks who are just kind of worsening the problem. And so then that will lead into health plans that companies have having health Rosetta certified components so that they've gone through some level of vetting and ultimately communities, both at a micro level, like a senior living community or a town, going back to our earlier point where 80% outcomes are driven by factors other than clinical care, whether it's a real estate community or a town, they actually can do things that can have a big, big impact on outcomes and can kind of reframe economic development for, say, a community to realize, oh, if you're actually a high-value healthcare community and look at the totality of health, you know, that's actually where you want to live. That's where you want to retire. So we're looking and working with some early adopter communities on that front to bring that type of certification into healthcare. Outstanding. I'll switch gears a little here. How have companies saved 20 to 50% on health benefits while they're improving benefits? Yeah. Echoing a little bit of what I said is around primary care, that's very foundational. If you look at a lot of the unnecessary hospitalizations and ER visits and inappropriate surgeries, it's because we've undermined primary care and kind of ration choices. If you have horrible back pain and you think the only way to solve that is to get back surgery, you'll do anything to get rid of it. But a lot of times we ration choices and people don't know that there's actually other options. And like Virginia Mason and Starbucks, they did a study of the spinal procedures and found 90% of them 
were of no help and they would have been better addressed by things like PT. So organizations are doing that. They're making primary care available rather than getting difficult to get in there and having drive-by appointments. They'll have full access, 30, 45-minute appointments if need be. And then they do other smart things like direct contracting. They work with high-integrity pharmacy benefit managers. Sometimes they'll have almost like a concierge-type service to have people help have there be a service that helps them navigate both their benefits and as well as clinical decisions. And collectively, those are the things that typically what's happened is they just flatten the growth. And then meanwhile, everybody else continues to buy into the lie that you can't control healthcare costs. So over time, they look like heroes. And even though they just manage their costs like they do everything else in their supply chain, suddenly they're 20 or 50% less than others. And so we're seeing that all over the place, public and private sector, all parts of the country. And frankly, it's not rocket science, just doing it on a sustained basis. Right. Dave, what's next for the Big Heist movement? And when can we expect to view the film? Yeah, good question. This I like to call it the Health 3.0 movement, which is really defining what that future is and the Big Heist sort of shining a light on that. We talked about the tell your story piece. So we're going to start getting those stories out there. The timing of the film will have various factors. I mean, the good news is we're getting some really great visibility and incredible people involved, but that's sort of upping the ante. So I'd say in the next year, we would hope a year from now, starting to sort of plan for the film festival circuit and some of that. But the real goal is to get a film that's wildly popular and successful that gets people's attention. In the meantime, we're really building the foundation for what to do after watching the film and progressively raising the awareness. The tell your story piece on our site is is one place and really building that groundswell is what it's all about. So that by the time the film comes out, there's forward looking people and at you know, every meaningful community that or sort of inoculated against the fear, uncertainty, and doubt that preservationists of the status quo will put out there, of course, because that's in their economic interest and who can blame them. But you need to be inoculated from that. And like any movement, that's about educating folks and whatnot. So that's where we'll have a lot of the focus and, and start to trickle out some of these stories that, of course, not all the stories can make it in the film, but they can bring things to life and recognize like, wow, for all of the incredible smarts and talent and passion, not to mention money that we put into healthcare, it's really not a very good expression of our humanity. And we should expect a lot more. And that's the goal for sure. All right. So we've got our to-dos Go to www.bigheistmovie.com. For a dollar, we're going to join the movement. We're going to tell our story for free, and then we're going to follow along with the movement via social media, via the hashtag, pound sign, the Big Heist Movie. Dave, we got our marching orders. I really appreciate you stopping by, sharing with us what you're doing, and allowing us to participate. My pleasure. I enjoyed our chat. And I did as well. And that wraps this broadcast. On behalf of our guests, Dave Chase, I'm Joe Lavelle. And we'll see you soon on Intrepid Healthcare.